More than 4,000 graduate students in over 80 different programs of study. You guys are sort of all over the world, it seems like. It's kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. Here on Inspiration Dissemination. photographs of this data set stretching over a much longer period of time. They're now converted into basically mathematical shapes, and we can now analyze the statistics of this shape. Good evening, listeners. Good evening, listeners. Good evening, listeners. It is Easter Sunday of 2019, whatever day of April that is. Is it the 21st? It's the 21st. 21st. I get mixed up. So it is the 21st of April, and you are tuned to 88.7 KBVR Corvallis. It is currently just after 7 p.m., and on a Sunday, that can mean only one thing. It is time for another episode of Inspiration Dissemination. I'm Daniel Watkins. And I'm Heather Forsyth. At Oregon State, we have more than 4,000 graduate students in over 80 different programs of study. And here on Inspiration Dissemination, we feature the research and personal stories of one of those students each week. And if you're a graduate student at OSU and you're interested in coming on the show, we'd love to have you. Or if you want to find out more about uh, all the awesome things going on at OSU, you can check out our blog at blog blogs.oregonstate.edu slash inspiration. And here you can find all about our up and coming guests and links to our Twitter pages and Facebook pages and to our podcast. Inspiration dissemination is recorded live and any opinions expressed on the show are those of the hosts and our guests and do not necessarily represent Oregon State University or this station. Tonight we're joined by Ward Shalesh from the College of Engineering. He's a first-year PhD student in bioengineering. Hey, Ward. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, Can you just tell us an overview about what your research is and what you do? Yeah, so um, I work with Dr. Gears here at CBE, and we're studying basically back pain, uh, low back pain in patients. And what we do is we're trying to develop a new method uh, basically, where we can uh, look at the intervertebral disc and see if we can support, if the intervertebral disc can support stem cell therapy. So, um, the intervertebral disc is basically cartilage that works like a cushion and it sits between the vertebral bodies in the spine. And that's what gives us the flexibility in our spine, allows us to move, uh, etc. Um, so, how, com- how common is it to have problems with? the intervertebral discs? So about 80% of the population will end up uh, suffering from back pain injuries. Um, and that happens because of age, happens because of uh, injury. Um, so yeah, it's estimated it's uh, about 80% of the population will suffer from some sort of pain. Can you orient us to explain what that disc looks like and where it is in the back? Okay, so uh, if you picture a jelly donut, so that's what the disc kind of looks like, and uh, the easy dome, to picture. Yeah, so the dough, the donut, basically um, in the disc is made of fibrous uh, or cartilage that's more fibrous-like, and it gives it that rigid um, structure, and it maintains the disc's uh, integrity. And then the center of the disc, so just like in a jelly donut, there's uh, jelly in the center. In the disc, there is uh, gel-like material, and we call it 
uh, nucleus pulposus, and that's what gives the disc its uh, ability to withstand compressive forces. So what does it look like when it starts to degrade? Is it just that it gets flatter, or what, what's happening there? Yeah, great question. So basically, uh, when the disc uh, starts to degenerate, uh, basically it dehydrates, so it loses a lot of the moisture and water that's in there. Um, and the disc then would reduce um, its height. And that can cause, um, basically the disc will stop functioning more like a cushion and it will become stiffer and more rigid in, in the spine. So what, can you tell us about the method that you're trying to improve to what options are available for treatment for this kind of thing? Mm -hmm. So um, right now the options that are available for patients on the market. Uh, there's two options. The first is basically to replace the disc with a bony uh, graft. And basically what that is, um, the surgeon would, would remove the disc from the spine replace it with a piece of bone from the patient and promote the uh, vertebral bodies on either ends of the disc to fuse. So basically what's happening, we're replacing the cushion that's in the spine with a piece of bone. And what that does to the spine, you can imagine that it would reduce, uh, reduce the uh, flexibility and a range of motion for the patient. Um, this option is not very efficient because it can lead to other complications down the line. So it can cause arthritis in a patient, which can, um, which would force the patient to have more surgeries in about 10 years or so. And a lot of these patients start to have complications in, uh, in the disc at the age of about 40. So you can imagine a person at the age of 40 going through surgery and then having to go through surgery every 10 years um, that sounds super inconvenient. Yeah, yeah. And expensive. Mm -hmm, that's right, yeah. And the other option that's available also is uh, the use of artificial discs. Um, so researchers were able to basically build an artificial disc made of metals and plastics. And basically they would replace the actual disc that's in the body with the artificial one. Now the problem with the artificial disc is that it could slip out of place and it could also cause arthritis in the spine. Um, so the patient would have to go again under surgery to try to fix the health complications that happened. So the natural question then, is there a way to just repair it in place rather than to put something else in there? Yes, and there is a way. Um, so recent studies have uh, looked into the use of stem cell, uh, stem cells to regenerate the disc and um, research been looking at this method since 2003 and what they do they take um, fat tissue from the patient's body reprogram it to become stem cells and that's like a simplified version of what they actually do but um so yeah, they, sounds kind of magical yeah yeah <laughs> and then they would inject the cells into the disc and just by having those stem cells in the disc and communicating with the cells around them and the environment they're in, they would become magically turn into disc cells, right? <laughs> right. Uh, so correct me if I'm wrong. My understanding of what a stem cell is is just a kind of cell that can develop in, a, in multiple ways. Like depending on its context, it could turn into one of a few different cell types. Is that right? Yes, that's right. And these are 
Are these the same stem cells that we usually hear about in the news with people being upset about stem cell research? Um, yeah, unfortunately. Um, so they're, they're different sources of stem cells and fat tissue is one source that you can get stem cells from, but pretty much they do the same thing at the end, differentiate or become the type of cells that you want them to become and that will give you the ability to replace the degenerated or the dead cells or unhealthy cells in the disc. So how do you, what does your day-to-day -day basis look like? You're not differentiating these cells, uh, but what is your role in this research and this project in um, trying to improve this, uh, this treatment that's not fully developed yet? So the way, um, how my day looks, interesting. Well, it's a mix of different activities, I guess. Um, there's a lot of computer work. Uh, there's some lab work. Whenever I have an experiment, basically, um, have to plan the experiment, go to lab, make sure that you have all the materials. If you don't, order them. Um, run the experiment, stay there till the experiment is done because this is not some chemical reaction that you can stop or put aside or put it in the fridge and then come back later. Those are living cells, so you have to be there all the time. Um, and I, it happened where I've, I've been on campus until like 5 in the morning just processing um, tissue and cells. Otherwise, the cells would, would die. Um, there's no pressure, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes without food, too. Um, but you got to do what you got to do. You were the cells? You without food or the cells without food? Um, both of us, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the other portion of my work is basically I do uh, mathematical modeling. So whatever data we get from um, MRI images, we try to plug them into software, which would um, help us kind of build a mathematical model that predicts the viability of the treatment, cell, cell yeah. therapy treatment. Yeah. So tell us about where these images, where your data comes from, these MRI images uh, that people are probably really familiar with going into an MRI, getting these scans of your brain or whatever you need scans of, and uh, you take that data and you're able to manipulate it for what? So we have data that was collected by my PI from a previous research um, and previous work. And those scans, those are basically scans of the discs in patients that have had um, degenerated discs, okay? And what we do with them is we take, the scan can basically tell us how, um, how much water there is in the disc and how easy water can move throughout the disc. And this is important for us because if water can move easily throughout the disc, and I'm again simplifying a lot of the terms here and a lot of the concepts, if water can move easily throughout the disc, then glucose and oxygen that is dissolved in water can also move easily throughout the disc. And that is important because glucose and oxygen is what the cells need to, to survive and stay alive and basically fix whatever degeneration happens in the disc. Um, and if we see that um, these nutrients are not being able to move, move around very easily in the disc, then that can um, determine whether the therapy 
can be uh, successful or not, basically. So would you say that the goal of your mathematical model would be a patient can go get an MRI, you take the image of the vertebra or the intervertebrate disc, um, intervertebral disc, put it into your model and it would say there's this much cell food available, so there's this much glucose and oxygen so it can support this many stem cells. Yeah, exactly. And the cool thing about it is that we're working on a way to develop it so you can use it in the clinic. So the patient can come in. It would not take more than 10 minutes, let's say. Okay. And he would, and the, the, the physician or the surgeon can have the result of, oh, how, how big or how many cells can I inject the patient with? Or what would happen if I would increase the number of cells in the disc by 10%, 20%? Is the disc going to be able to support this number of cells in there, or is it going to uh, further degenerate? Because if imagine what would happen to the disc if you increase the number of cells. So the disc is already, there's low concentrations of glucose and oxygen already in the disc. Okay? And if you increase the number of cells, it's going to increase the demand for these, um, for nutrients and oxygen. So if the physician has a way that's easy and simple to implement where they can determine um, if the disc or the number of cells that the disc can support, then they can easily determine the dose um, size that the patient needs. Is this procedure or method uh, at all available in the United States or anywhere else in the world? So the procedure itself has not been uh, developed clinically um, and that's what we're um, striving to do uh, but if you mean you, the use of stem cell therapy itself is not approved in 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 the US by the FDA there's some uh, research groups that are doing clinical trials on those I know in Europe there's a company called uh, Tygenics I believe and they have their uh, stem cell therapy approved in Europe actually okay yeah so going forward, what kinds of things do you think are being considered and thought about in terms of uh, who has access to this? How expensive is it going to be? Who's going to have control over it? Um, so the use of MRI images or MRI, um, it's actually wrong to say MRI images because it oh, the yes. eye stands <laughs> for images. Image. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so the MRI, the use of MRIs, pretty cheap and pretty available. Um, and I believe that if we can implement this method or develop this method to scan for best um, for patients with who can be candidates for stem cell therapy, they'll make it um, available for patients and hopefully uh, reduce the cost of basically trial and error, especially that comes along with physicians trying to guess the right amount of cells that need to be injected in the disc. Right, so you wouldn't have to waste time coming back for a bunch of treatments when you could have just said you need a larger dose at the beginning. Pretty much, or a smaller dose. Or a smaller dose. Yeah, yeah, because sometimes if you give it a larger dose, the cells don't have enough nutrients to feed off of, and they will just die, basically. Hmm. So how did you find out about this area of research? So... Um, I finished my undergrad here at OSU, and I was torn between continuing uh, for a PhD or going to work. 
and I've kind of weighed weighed the cons and pros of either options and just decided to continue with a PhD degree. Um, wanted to learn more about the science, specifically tissue engineering. So I asked around um, OSU about some faculty who work in this field, specifically in the bioengineering department. Um, and I was told that they were going to hire a new faculty member, Dr. Morgan Gears. And I read about her research, and I really got interested in what she had to offer. Um, and that's how I got in. Cool. So where were you before your undergrad? Um, like as far as the United States? Or sure. What's your background leading into why did you do engineering at okay. all? Oh, boy, that's a long story. So it starts <laughs> of my childhood. <laughs> um, I was always a curious um, person since I was young. I would go out to nature with a notebook and just observe birds and animals and take notes. And just pretend to be a little scientist running around, you know? Very um, cool. And then in, in high school, so in Israel, we can major in high school. And 10th grade, I majored in biotechnology. I just, I enjoyed the... Um, the combination of engineering, applied science, and biology and chemistry all mushed together in one subject. So that's what got me into biotechnology. And 11th grade, I got an opportunity to come to the United States as an exchange student. And I was uh, placed in Amity, Little Amity in Oregon. Had a lot of fun. Um, had a great host family. Maintained my strong relationship with them. And then I decided to just come back here and pursue my college degree in the United States. How did your parents feel about that? They were upset in the beginning. <laughs> they didn't like it because, especially Oregon too, because it's like the other side of the world. Like there is nothing beyond Oregon except for waters, you know? Right. Um, took me a lot of convincing to do on my part. And my parents initially... I guess my dad, they were, he was very excited about it. He was open to the idea. I would say he didn't want to show it. Um, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, and somehow they just let me do it. Um, maybe I pressured them too much. I can't remember. But. <laughs> maybe they saw the way you smiled when you talked about it. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, fine. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, and I did, I went to PCC, Portland Community College, uh, I did two years of education there, got my associates in science, um, and then transferred to OSU, got my undergrads in bioengineering, and here I am doing my PhD. Well, we certainly are glad to have you here in Corvallis. Thank you, Daniela. Mm -hmm. um, it also sounds like you don't spend your time only in the lab, other than the days where you have to stay here until five in the morning keeping some cells alive. Uh, what other kinds of things around Corvallis do you um, spend your time doing? Yeah, um, the truth be said, if I <laughs> if I spend my entire day in the research, I would go nuts. I just can't do it. And I, everybody, I think a lot of us feel that way too. Yeah, and everybody who knows me probably knows that about me too. Like, um, it's either, so a lot of things that I like to do, um, free time on my free time, and if it's raining outside which is most of the time in Oregon. <laughs> um, I play a Middle Eastern uh, Middle Eastern instrument called the Oud. Um, you should look it up. It's spelled O-U-D. Um, 
I if also you go to the blog post, there's a link to the Wikipedia page on it. If you can't remember the spelling. Yeah. 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 Um, sounds nice. I like it. Um, started playing it when I was 12. Um, was not super good, still not super good because I got distracted with schoolwork. But now I'm hoping to become real good at it and maybe uh, do shows at OSU, hopefully. Cool. You also um, get outside and you also told us you do some volunteer work. Can you yeah. tell us about that? So currently I'm an officer with Beeves Helping Kids and we do um, events where we raise money for homeless uh, kids, especially we collaborate with uh, Jackson Street Youth Services. Um, and the other part of uh, going out, I guess, or doing activities here in Oregon is I love hiking around Oregon a lot. Sure. Um, yeah, in my opinion, Oregon is the best place to do that kind of stuff here. I'm with beautiful. you. Yeah. Do you have a favorite hike? I would say Broken Top. Nice. Down. Yeah. Yeah. I would do it over and over, would never get bored of it. Yeah. Nice. Okay. So, two questions, I guess three. First, is there anything about your research or studies that we didn't talk about yet that you wanted to bring up? Or did we cover the bases? I think we covered what's important. Yeah. Okay. And then the second is, we have a tradition here on inspiration dissemination that we ask our guests to impart a word of advice mm -hmm. to, to whom that advice should apply is up to you. So, um, what advice do you have and who are you giving it to? Oh boy. Um, I would give this advice to my peers and anybody's thinking about doing a PhD degree. Um, totally go for it. Okay, it might be stressful at sometimes, or scary, and a lot of things to be done at at once. But always believe in yourself, and work will get done eventually. Okay, so don't stress about getting work done; it will get done eventually somehow. <laughs> just enjoy the moment, take it slow, and just it'll happen eventually. All right. Uh, so our second tradition is to play a song that means something to you. Can you tell us about the song you picked? So um, this uh, this piece is played by an ode player. His name is um, Nasir Shama. He's an Iraqi player. He's um, in my eyes. He's more of he's one of the innovators in uh, Middle Eastern music, especially with uh, the ode. Um, he's gotten a lot of criticism though for it because he tries to pull in uh, like pull some techniques from like Western music and try to mix it with Middle Eastern music. But I think that's cool. I mean, that's what music cool. is all about is trying new things and, and innovation. Um, so yeah, for sure. Science too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, thank you so much for coming on to our show. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah. Thank you guys for this yeah. opportunity. Yeah. All right, here is an oud song.
Thank you for listening. If you want to support the show, please tell your friends about it and give a five-star review on Apple Podcasts so other podcast peeps can find our show. The theme music was performed by the OSU Drumline, and the intro jingle was created by Olin Hannum. Special thanks to the supporting staff for KBVR that allowed this show and podcast to be possible. The show was started by Gian Convar and Joey Holber in 2012. Its hosts include Matt McConnell, Steve Friedman, Mackenzie Smith, Kristen Finch, Adrian Gallo, Lillian Paget-Cobb, Lori Lutz, Heather Forsyth, Maggie Exton, Scott Classic, Marcus Weinman, Daniel Watkins, and Harrison Steyerwalt. To learn about other graduate students at Oregon State, or if you want to be part of the show, please visit our well-curated website at blogs.oregonstate.edu inspiration. And finally, don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter at KBVRID and Facebook at Inspiration Dissemination. Thank you for listening and stay curious, my friends.